There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Benched with Bubba, episode 42. Going to do a little U.S. Open recap and talk much more golf, you know, stuff coming up. Some DraftKings vandal over the weekend, latest news, all kinds of good stuff. And in order to do that, bringing in my buddy once again, Jesse. You can find him on Twitter at DFS Golf Gods. Jesse, how we doing? Doing well, Bubba. Good to be here again. Glad to be back. Another week over. Another major. Yep, yep. Another major in the book, and uh, it was an interesting one. And that's why I'm glad we're recapping it. We, you know, we recapped the Masters and. That was one hell of a recap because it was a hell of a weekend, you know, Sergio doing his thing and everything. This was a different feel to it. It was great. We'll get, in, we'll get into Brooks and all of that later. That was awesome. It was just – it had a different vibe like the Open usually does, I guess. But it just had a different vibe from your typical Open also, which we'll get to. Um, first off, let's get into Aaron Hills. You know, everyone was talking about – it's going to be this long track. The wind's going to be horrible. The fescue this, fescue that. I'm a crybaby. We're going to cut the fescue. It's raining. All kinds of problems. And then these guys come out and Fowler shoots seven under on the opening day. And the winning score is 16. We've got a little wind on Sunday. Overall, what was your kind of feelings on the course as a whole? You know, going into it, um, <clears throat> I just didn't see it playing that difficult and ended up playing being easier than what I even thought, because I thought that um, the greens and running, you know, maybe at a 14 on the stem or something like that would, would make it more difficult uh, than it was. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of things happened along the way, which um, kind of made it easier. Um, A, you know, big news coming into the week before it even started on Thursday, they cut down some of the fescue. So right out the gate there, they cut back about three or four or five yards on some holes. Um, and then a lot of rain softened the golf course up, softened the greens up. They couldn't get hard. I'm guessing they don't have a sub-air system there like they do with the Masters where they can just make them hard if they want to. Um, and then also to no wind. I mean, the wind just wasn't – it just wasn't as big of a factor as they you know, thought it would be. And I saw somebody say that the course itself is set up to be windy um, and to play in the wind. And it just never materialized. I don't think like the USGA thought in their head. Um, I think if they had to do it over, they would narrow those fairways down. Because even hitting in the second cut of rough was penile enough to, to, to make it 
hard to make a par from even the, you know, the first cut of rough. Um, so it was just, you know, it was, it was an, a lot easier than, than what we, what we anticipated from a U.S. Open course. I mean, but it is what it is, you know. I still enjoyed watching golf all week. Yeah, and that's the basics of it. Everyone wanted to have their opinion on it because, you know, that's what everybody does these days. Heck, that's what we're doing right now. But <laughs> um, but it's uh, it was still really good golf. I guess what it came down to is, you know, everyone thinks U.S. Open and we want that weekend where we see these guys play like us, where they go out there and they struggle and we see more bogeys than birdies. and. Right we didn't see that and it pissed people off. And I mentioned it on the, the pod last week when I said it's, it's a links course. And if people think about it, we'll talk about the open coming up the next major. Almost every open you go to is a links course. Uh, and if there's really no bad weather, they open up for scoring galore. Right. That's what they do. Like even a hacker like me, who's not that great at golf, you put me on a links course with good weather. I can shoot bogey golf. It's yeah. really not. And these guys are the best of the best. So it shouldn't have been a big surprise to these guys in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, I thought it was great. Like you said, the course was really nice. Uh, beautiful. I thought it was beautiful for being 12 years old. I didn't, I, I learned a lot about it that I didn't know even after all this talk we did and other podcasts and everything 12 years old to do what they've done. There is remarkable. I thought it was, Pretty impressive. Um, were you surprised by how many of the big names missed the cut on the weekend? Um, yes, yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, you know, I didn't, ex- I didn't expect DJ, Rory, and Jason Day to not be there on Sunday, um, but you know, they started off terrible and just weren't really able to recover on Friday. Um, and then, you know, you even had guys like Justin Rose. He missed the cut on the number. Um, Henrik Stinson, bogey the last hole, finished three over to miss. Uh, Francisco Molinari, who was a popular play in, in DFS world, uh, missed as well. Um, so, yeah, I was very surprised. You know, typically these golf courses bring out the cream of the crop. You know, I mean, the, 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 the cream rises to the top kind of thing. And um, it just didn't happen. It didn't materialize this year. Uh, like it has in years past. And so, but I mean, that's, that's, that's also part of it. It's it's really weird when you think about it, you know, you think about how good of a driver the, of the golf ball Rory and DJ are, and they couldn't hit these fairways enough to go out and make pars and make the cut at plus two. Um, it's just, it's, it amazes me. I mean, Rory kind of turned it on there on the back nine on, on Friday, but it wasn't good enough to, to, to make the cut. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just, it's been a weird year. I mean, overall in golf, you know, and this just kind of is the cherry on top, I guess. Yeah. A couple of things out of that. You said the, the weird year it has, cause it started out so chalky, like incredibly chalky. And then the last few months, especially when you talk majors, it's been the young guns, the kind of out of nowheres. Um, I, I saw a stat. The last seven majors were all first-time winners. You have Day, Willett, DJ, Stenson, Walker, Sergio, and Kepka, all first-time winners of majors, which is pretty remarkable if you really think about it. Because, the, yeah. like, as you know and many know, the pressure on these guys to win a major, that's just 
that's awesome. Um, and then the other thing I think is outstanding. I love Rory sitting down <laughs> on, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday and making the comment that, Hey, these fairways are 60, you know, 60 feet long, wide. And if we can't hit them, well, we're not the best of the world, that kind of comment. And then he goes out there and I, I, I was doing something. I come back to Twitter and there's a four picture thing. It's him looking down in the fescue for his ball with like a disgust, him swinging, <laughs> him looking back down at the ball, and then him looking forward with this look on his face like crap. <laughs> it yeah. was just perfect. It was perfect. He, he, said, was, he said, you know, the fairways are 60 yards wide. If you can't hit them, you might as well pack your bags. And uh, yeah, so yeah that, was, that, was a, that was a pretty good. Uh, little joke there on Friday as he missed the cut uh, as he was packing his bags and he couldn't hit the 60 yard wide fairways. I mean, it's just, it was uh, not what I anticipated at all um, going into it. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, but it's, it was very surprising put it that way. No, it was. And um, just like you said, to some, it's disappointing because you want the big names, you know, to Fox, it was probably disappointing, but to the golf fans, it was still great golf. And if you're a golf fan, you like guys like Brooks Kapka. You like these guys. Like we've talked about, especially in the DFS world, Kapka has been on the list for a long time. This guy has yeah. been so close. He started out the year. He just had something off, but he finished last year playing really good golf. And then he's found it. We've talked about it. He's found it the last you know month or so. And he showed it. He played really, really good. Um, outside of Brooks, who we will dig into more, what are some of the bigger surprise performances of the week? Because there's definitely going to be a handful you could pick from um, at Aaron Hills. I mean, I would just, if if you want to name them all, just go to the top of the leaderboard and just start with number one and go all the way down. Ricky is about the only one that I can really, you know, say he quote unquote should be there. Um, but you got guys like Brian Harmon, who it's amazing to me that he can shoot 12 under at a U.S. Open, but missed the cut at a, you know another little smaller tournament a couple weeks ago. Um, and they were talking about him, Brian Harmon in particular, on Sunday as he bogeyed the last hole and about how much money it was going to cost him. And we'll talk a little bit more about the coverage later, but they're like, oh, it's going to cost him so much money. Well, he just won another tournament. So it's not that huge of a deal to him, but it is a huge deal for him to come in second at the U S open because he's never contended in a major in his life. Um, I had to hear about that. Apparently on the, on the U S open podcast, I said to completely fade Tommy Fleetwood. I said I was fading Tommy Fleetwood because he brought me at the masters. If you remember, um, I don't know if I recommended everybody else to fade him, but, uh, my my best friend who lives next door to me, I, we were sitting there watching it as Tommy Fleetwood was going low, and he just kept digging into me about, oh, yeah, you should fade Fleetwood. Oh, yeah, because he took him out of a lineup, apparently, as he was li- listening to our podcast. Um, so that was awesome. That was really fun. And then at one point, uh, Xander Shuffley was was leading the U.S. Open. I mean, it's and he finishes fifth. It's, it's like, what is going on here? And then another guy, Trey Mullinox, um, and I actually mentioned, I think both of these on our podcast, we did back in January to kind of preview the whole entire year about these were some up and coming golfers, but I didn't pay any attention to them this week because they were nowhere on my radar. Um, so yeah, I mean, pretty much the whole entire top 10, top 12, um, 
it's just it was a it was a weird week. You know, your boy Patrick Reed. I don't know if you played him any last week, but we talked about him, and I said a firm no. And when he went low, I think it was on Friday. I just was really wanting to punch myself. <laughs> yeah, it was such a tilting week. It was because <laughs> it's like it's guys we've loved in the past that have burned yeah. us. It was like it was like a woman scorned week. It was Charlie like, Hawkins. Look at oh my God. Like I, I play yeah. him every now and again, but I can't hardly because he's always fading on Sundays. Of course, he did the same thing at the Masters. He was not on my radar at all, and he's just out there just making every putt on the weekend. I'm like, this is how is this happening? It's not supposed to happen, but it did. Yeah, you like Bill Haas. He's like a cut maker. He's a cash game play. No, he finishes fifth at the U.S. Open. Yeah, I was was right there with you on Tommy Fleetwood. I said the same thing. I said, I hate him because of what he did at the Masters. (laughs) I had none of him, so that one hurt. I've used Trey Mullinex so many times this year because of what we talked about on an opening pod at small tournaments. I had none of him this week. (laughs) It was just so many things that just – J.D. Holmes, of course, decides to show up this week and not burn everybody. Um, Justin Thomas was one of the most predictable things you could see that final round. That's just yeah. JT. That's I, I JT to it. I saw that coming too, but yeah. the, the round on Saturday was in amazing. Insane. He hit two of the Those, best threes I've ever seen hit in my whole entire life, and I've watched Tiger Woods play almost every round he ever played. Yeah. Those shots he made out of the fescue a couple times, my goodness. Yeah, that too. Um, he he I was mean, doing things. Whew. He was unconscious. I mean, just completely blacked out on Saturday. I mean, you can't do that in a U.S. Open. <laughs> you, you, you saw you, you saw him when he left the 18th green. He just sat down with his putter in his hand, like he had to like literally sit there and just decompress right there on the spot. <laughs> that, was, that was an eagle putt. He was it was he hit in there to nine feet or whatever, eight feet uh, on 18 yeah. for his in his eagle putt. He had to sit down and like shake out his hands, like oh my god, is this really happening? Kind of thing, and he drained it. I think, what did he shoot, 62, I think? Um, no, 63, 63, which is the lowest score ever at U.S. Open. And the, the last two things I want to mention um, that I, that burns both of us is our picks to win came out on fire. And they, <laughs> like, Sergio just coasted. Sergio just coasted. They both went eagle out the gate. We were both just so pumped. Like, <laughs> fireworks yeah. shooting off. And, Paul and Sergio just coasted to it. Yeah, Sergio's close to a four under, and then Casey because I was heavy on him too. I loved him. His weekend was just Casey and Kisner's weekends destroyed my DFS lineups. I still barely yeah. cashed, but they could have been huge, like yeah. disastrous. And we'll get yeah, into yeah. how they could have been huge too. <laughs> I'll talk about it a little bit later, but it was uh, Casey's two triples. I mean, if he doesn't take those two triples, he finishes eight under, which is a tie for ninth, which is worth a lot more money. Uh, if he played him, um, but he made two triples. So, all right, let's get into um, one of the fun, controversial things. As always, come U.S. Open time, Fox gets golf. They're not doing football. They're not doing baseball. They're doing golf. Uh, <laughs> Joe Buck, who basically admitted on Monday that he knows nothing about golf, is their lead coverage guy. Uh, Azinger is pretty solid. I'll say that much. He's not bad. Um, I believe it was uh, was it Darren Clark 
was in there. Dan Clark was on a little bit. Yeah, they didn't have him a whole lot, but he was on there. He was on FS1 a lot. He should have been on TV a lot more. Um, what yeah. was your overall thoughts on the Fox coverage? I actually, it, I actually enjoy um, watching, watching. I'm just going to say watching, not listening. Watching golf when Fox does it because they uh, they're doing different things that CBS and NBC refuse to catch on to, which is a having a tracer on every ball and then B having the hole right next to it. So, you know, if it's going in the right spot or not, and that's particularly obviously very uh, much needed on um, a U.S. open course where you can get in trouble really easy, but it's, it's really fun to watch it that way. And then they showed for the majority, 90% of what they showed were golf shots, um, which is something that CBS refuses to do. And NBC is doing a better job at, but, they showed a lot of golf, which is the reason why I watch golf is to watch people hit golf shots. So um, for, for their for their watching wise, for the eye, it was awesome. I can't deal with their commentators half the time. Um, you know, Joe Buck had messed up a few things, especially with Brooks's girlfriend at the end. Which, whatever, you know, I know you're on live TV, not really dealing with that. But getting back to Brian Harmon, they were talking about like basically this putt for Brian Harmon which is probably worth a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'm not really sure exactly how much him making that last bogey cost him, but he just made a million dollars of the Wells Fargo. And they're acting like if he doesn't make this putt, he's not going to be able to eat tomorrow. So it's just the kind of the lack of back knowledge of the guys is what irks me. Um, but they don't do it week in and week out. So I guess they just don't do enough homework. I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's one thing you should know is Brian Harmon just won the Wells Fargo, so it's not like he's hurting for money. He just, you know, he's a millionaire. He, you know, so it's just weird. I just pulled it up. Tying, tying for second, him and Hideki both got $1,052,000. Sorry, automatic advertisements. Got to love them. Uh, $1,052,000 $1, each. So I think he's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's still another million dollars in his pocket. It's just, it was just strange that they were kind of acting like that. And then, you know, they did a few other missed calls and just weird stuff. But to the eye, man, I mean, that, you really – their first year was awful. Last year got better. This year, I think, got even better. Um, and I think they'll keep innovating. I hope they do anyways. And I hope that CBS and NBC follow along with the with the watching aspect of it. Um so yeah, I, I, overall, I you know, I give them a I give them a B. I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I agree with the, a lot of that. I think the viewing wise was phenomenal, and like what you said is you like watching it. That's almost how I feel about their NFL and MLB too. I can't stand most of their booth guys, but put me on mute, I'm in. Like I'll watch their product. They do a pretty good job at that, and for golf. Like you said, we tune in to watch golf. If I can't watch golf, I'll just check the leaderboard on my phone or I'll follow the PGA birdies on Twitter and get all the information I need. I don't need to freaking watch, you know, Jim Nance in a booth tell me what's going on. Um, Yeah. But, and that shot tracer thing is, that's pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) pretty cool. I mean, they're on point. They're on every hole. And that is, that's the way it should be because, you know, I want to know where the ball's going. If the technology is there, we should have it. It's that simple. Um, it's it's really awesome. I think they did a really good job. I'm curious to see if they start getting more tournaments. 
Uh, I doubt they will just because of the stranglehold these other companies have, but you never know. Um, it, it will be interesting to see. The other thing I heard and I read on some stuff, they're, I can't remember the guy's name. He's like their lead interview guy when they come off the course after their rounds and whatnot. He was interviewing so many people. I guess he interviewed Brooks after the second round, and this is how dedicated they were to the actual live footage. Like over half of the interviews he did never made it to TV because they kept having to break away to actual round coverage, which was awesome. Because really? you know, for, yeah. you know, for a fact, CBS or NBC would have said, "Nope, we're playing the interview." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For a fact, yeah. it would have happened. And it's, um, it, you know what? It's okay if they if they if I listen to the interview while I'm watching golf shots. But let's watch golf. Let's don't interview yeah, golf. Put Brooks in a small picture in the bottom right corner or something. Yeah, That's fine. Totally fine. I'd be totally cool with that. <laughs> but uh, and the interview, I hope they put it somewhere because the 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 clip they played, it was a total Brooks thing, just like something common if I'm just chilling or something. He was so relaxed after two rounds of it was hilarious. It was just Brooks. You should have known he was going to come out and win after the comments he made in that clip. It was unbelievable. Right. But um, yeah, so yeah, overall, really good stuff. Last thing. Should Aaron Hills get another shot at the U.S. Open? Um, you know, I think I think they I think they probably you know could slash should. Um, I think if the USGA went back, they would make the fairways, uh, you know, not as wide. Let you know narrow them down um, and make it more of a U.S. Open type of golf course. But um, there was a lot of cool holes on that on that golf course, um, and I would. It was fun to watch golf on it, um, even if it was, you know, waste management style golf. Uh, it was still fun to watch. So I could, uh, I could see it going back. Um, I think they'll have a debate about that, but I, I like it when they go to new courses. I like it when they go to public courses. You know, so I hope they, I hope they keep it in rotation. Yeah, that's the biggest thing you said right there. I like when they go to public courses. I think it's it's even better for the the viewer, the fan when they can relate that much more than heck now, Hey, I can go actually play this place. Like right. sure. The, ma- the masters is that much better. Cause there's a good chance. Most of us will never even play it, let alone possibly step foot into <laughs> Augusta. Um, but like Aaron Hills, literally, if I want to hop on a plane or I call, I can make a reservation for like a tea time for maybe three or four months from now. I don't know what their policy is, but I can make this happen. Right. It's yeah. It, which makes it that much more cool. Um, so there's a lot to like about. I don't know if you saw um, the next day where uh, – did you see the next day where J.J. Watt, I think he shot like 120 on it or something, and everybody else on his, he played with was like 130, 140. So it's not an easy golf game. Oh, no, it's not easy at all. Um, that same – the same Fox analyst guy that I, they were saying, he played the course because he wanted to get to know it before he interviewed guys – he played it like uh, six months ago and the weather was fine and he shot like a 77. He's like a six or seven handicap. But then he came back out and played it last weekend when a lot of the guys were practicing and it was windier. And he said just the wind change alone, he shot a 90. <laughs> so he says that's – they weren't kidding. If it's windy, that course gets brutal. <laughs> yeah. So something to think about. It could be worth it in the future. You can't predict the weather, folks. <laughs> No. Um, let's talk Brooks Kopka. The guy's amazing. Well, not amazing. That might be the wrong word, but he's very impressive. He's super young. Um, 
long ways to go for the kid. What are your thoughts on his overall performance winning his first major at the 117th U.S. Open? Yeah, I think uh, I think he tied uh, Rory for the lowest under par um, at 16. He never did get to 17, which is the lowest anybody's ever gotten to at a U.S. Open. But either way, um, he shot all four rounds under par, um, and it was pretty. It we got pretty ridiculous on Sunday when he. I think he birdied three straight. Uh, I think he birdied 16, 15, and 14, 14, 15, and 16 get to 16 under par. Um, and at that point it was just like, this is, you know, there's nobody's going to catch him. And it was, it was a uh, impressive performance to say the least. And then of course he steps up on 18 and just hits a three wood, like 350 right down the middle um, wind at the back, but one way or the other, just a straight bullet um, right down the middle. And, and that's pretty impressive to do whenever you're in the lead at the U S open on your last hole. Um, I probably block that way right and or duck hook it. So, but he's just got that cool, calm demeanor about him. Um, and I knew that if he was in that type of position, like he's not the kind of guy who's going to choke it away um, because I think he really has a, I don't care attitude. And, you know, but at the same time, he probably has a pretty good competitive spirit and nature. Um, I think all these guys do or else you wouldn't even be there. Um, and so that that I don't care attitude with that competitiveness was a good mix, um, especially on a U.S. Open golf course. So very impressive. You know, I'm very salty that I wasn't that I didn't play him more in DraftKings, but or on in fantasy. But it is what it is at this point. So I'm happy for him. Yeah, it was impressive. That three wood he hit that laser, which by the way, that uh, shot tracer made it that much more impressive. If you uh, those that were watching it live, those that were watching it live, the guys in the booth, the, the pros realized already how awesome that was going to be because of the shot tracer. Like, oh, that's the kind of three wood that's going to go a long, long ways because it's going to roll. And um, it was just freaking awesome. I saw somewhere that that three wood was his longest drive of the entire tournament. There's a good chance. I mean, he smoked it 350. Um, Right down the middle, um, looking at it right now, it was, well, no, excuse me, uh, short change a little bit, 379.3 yards. Um, that hole was playing that day, 681, and he had 273 into the hole. I'm pretty sure he hit a, an iron, and he landed short, but, um, yeah, I mean, just ridiculous on that last hole. But, you know, just overall, man, just to go out on a final round um, of a major – in the lead, well, he was—I think he was one shot off the lead, and he shoots 67 on a Sunday at the U.S. Open. Very impressive, very, very impressive. Not very many people can say they've ever shot uh, 67, five under, or even three under, probably at a U.S. Open on a on a Sunday. Yeah, and it's not bad for—it's your first career major, and it's only your second career win. So, uh, uh, second career PGA Tour victory, technically. I guess he's got six internationals I'm looking at right now, but two career wins, basically. Just awesome stuff. Um, do you think now, because we've, like I said earlier, he's he's been playing really, really well the last month or so. Do you think, you know, we've seen guys now that they finally get that major, they go on runs. Do you think he's going to go on a run here, maybe not like winning run, but a consistent, maybe top 10, 15 type guy for a while now? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. Um, it just gives him more confidence. Like I said, he has that attitude where basically it's almost like he could care less. Um, but at the same time, like I said, he's he's competitive. I'm sure enough to to compete. So, I mean, I'll be interested to see how well he does. Uh, I think I don't know if he's playing before the British Open. I imagine he would, but be interested to see you know what kind of fire he has to come back out and compete. You know, I said the same thing about Sergio, and Sergio hadn't done anything since the Masters, so. I guess the short answer to that is I don't know. <laughs> uh, we talked about uh, some of those young guns like Molinax and Shoffley that were on top of the leaderboard there. And I mentioned how the last seven major winners have been first timers. We've seen a lot of young guys do really, really, really well this year. Um, who do you think the next guy is that's going to step up? Not necessarily, you know, in a major, if you want to go that route, you can, but who's the next guy that's going to really step up and make his, you know, next name for himself. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as like a guy who's maybe not as well known, um, I would be looking at, you know, guys like Jamie Lovemark, he had a really good showing. Um, and he's been a, a guy who, has played well in certain stretches, but kind of just gets um, a little wobbly off the tee, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I, I, I like I like his game a lot, uh, but he's just never been able to kind of put everything together at the same time. Um, but he was kind of a popular pick last week too, which is which is which is kind of odd for me. But either way, I mean, you've also got um, Peter Uline. Um, he's been a kind of a guy who's on the rise coming off the Euro tour and playing more in America. Um, so I'd look for him to, to potentially step up and maybe win a golf tournament, which could leapfrog him into some, to some better things. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are, those are a couple guys. There's a, a lot, a lot of good young golfers out there though. I mean, a lot, a lot of good young golfers. So it's, it's hard to narrow it down. Uh, but there was a lot of good golf played last week by some young guys. So, um, then of course you got you guys like Justin Thomas and, and Ricky who when you talk about it, the a next major, those are the guys who need to step up and win a, a major, the do factor, especially with Ricky. So look for those guys in the next few majors. Okay. Um now we kind of already mentioned some of the guys that surprised us with their quick exits, you know, Dave, uh, DJ, Rory and the company. What's next for these guys? Because even Spieth, he made the cut and he had a good Sunday, but they've, for the most part, they've been scuffling quite a bit lately. They haven't been that dominant self. Like I, we've been saying, we've been seeing these young guys been doing really well in these tournaments, a lot more no names than big names. Um, you know, as much as we enjoy seeing a lot of new blood, we do also want to see our big boys doing well. Um, what do you think's next for these guys? Are they, just in a funk or is there something wrong with, with these guys? Well, I think with, with Rory, he's coming off the, the rib injury. So I just think it's a lack of not just basically a bunch, not being able to play enough competitive golf to compete at a high level. <clears throat> I worry about him probably the least Dustin with, with DJ, it kind of goes back to the weird year. You know, he was so dominant early on won three straight tournaments and then magically falls down some steps at Augusta and has not performed at a high level since it's been a really, really odd year since the masters for him. Um, I don't know if he's working on his game or working on his mental game or I, I just don't know. Um, 
with him and and Jordan is coming along. He's actually getting better, and he, you know, we it's easy to forget he won AT and T at Pebble Beach earlier this year. So it's not like he's in a big dry spell either. Um, but he's been hitting the ball better lately, and then of course his putter falls off a little bit this past week, which is why he couldn't compete at a high level. But um, I don't worry about Jordan as much. Dustin's the one I'm kind of just like sitting back going, what happened? You know? Yeah, Dustin, I'm 100% with you there because Dustin was so locked in. It was, if you could ever have like a version of the Terminator or something on a golf course, like he was literally, you couldn't stop him. Yeah. It was almost, it was the closest thing to Tiger Woods we've seen in a long time. Yeah. It was, okay, Dustin's playing this weekend. At worst, he's top five in it, but most likely he's in the final pairing and he's probably going to win this thing. This is what's happening. Uh, and it was, he was, every drive was a bomb. It was down the middle. It was crazy. And um, it's really confusing with him. I think it's a big mental thing with him right now. You know, say what you will about Augusta and the stairs. Uh, he just had another baby. I think he needs to get a lot right in between his ears right now. And then, um, I agree. Rory's just needs to get the health and the speak. It's funny. You hit it on the head. I've been in Spieth's corner. I still think he's a really, really good golfer. Uh, many save some are like passing him by, which I guess they are in theory, but he's still, like you said, one of the best in the world still. And it's funny because he is hitting the ball a lot better than he has in a long time. And the thing that's always been his best asset is his putter. And it's the one that's failing him. So right. if that if that putter shows up, and for instance, this weekend at the Travelers, you might listen to this after the weekend's over, but <laughs> it's a shorter course. If his putter shows up, he is a great play this weekend. Like <laughs> he's phenomenal at this course. Um, no, it's, so. it's it's hard to it's hard to fade him or Rory at any point, or even DJ when they're playing. I think DJ is an easier fade at this point, just because of like you just said the middle game, um, but. Rory and and Jordan can figure it out and turn it on at any point. It's just a matter of just tweaking stuff in their game, I'm pretty sure. Um, and like I said, Rory come off the injury. It just takes a little bit knocking some rust off or whatever, a little bit of a different story. Um, one guy you didn't put on there, though, was John Rahm. Did you see – Good point. Good point. <laughs> did you see um, how upset he got this past weekend? Oh, my God. That's like back-to-back weekends. Uh, this this kid, yeah. like I, I need to learn Photoshop because we could have a lot of fun with him, a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I was a big John Rom fan, and I still am, but his attitude lately is really starting to turn me off. It's really yeah. turning me off of him. Like like, there's a point where it's like, kid, give me a break. You're playing professional golf for a living. Calm down. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, dude. It's it's hard to watch because it's embarrassing. Um, you know, you're a millionaire at this point, you get to play, like you just said, you get to play golf professionally for a living. At some point, somebody needs to sit the kid down and say, listen, you're going to have to chill out. Um, I understand you want to play perfect golf, but you're playing an, a game that you can never be perfect at. And that, that was kind of, I think Jordan's problem last year is he got, he got too down on himself, too hard on himself. He never acted quite the donkey that John Rom has, um, but John, man, he – I heard I, – I read some stories about him last week. I mean, they, he, he was just it – was, it, was, it was hard to watch, man. Wasn't he, like, throwing bags and stuff, like, kicking stuff and yeah, basically crying? It was, it was bad. Yeah. 
Um, I'm definitely next time, next year when he comes to Pebble, I'm definitely following him because if he gets gets wayward, I can't wait to see this head case explode in person. <laughs> the, tele, the, the the cell phone will be out, folks. It's not Augusta; it will be out. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to see this. But yeah, that's a good one. I I, I did forget that one. That um, well, hopefully, yeah, Denny figures it out. I mean, he needs to go see a sports psychologist or something, or his dad needs to sit him down and. Well, it's like, like, my, dad, like my dad did whenever I was nine years old and I was throwing golf clubs. He said, exactly. Listen, when I coach, throw golf clubs, you're not going to play golf. Quit throwing exactly. Golf clubs. So when I coached Little League, when I coached Little League and the kids came back throwing their helmets, it was like, you pick that helmet up, and if you keep that shit up, you're not playing anymore. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> um, it, it, it makes you think, is Rene Russo's character from 10 Cups still available? We need a, we need a golf <laughs> like a swing coach. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Um, one last U.S. Open question. Next year, 2018, is at Shinnecock. It returns. Um, great course. Great course. Uh, any early thoughts? Long ways away. There's going to be a million different things that change our mind on things. Any early thoughts? Um, I, just, I, I, got a, I got a feeling it's like uh, USGA's revenge. Um, I just think it's going to be really, really difficult. Last time they played it there, 2004, a winning score was minus four by two shots. Um, 1995, uh, winning score was even. So the game's changed quite a bit since even 2004. Either way, I think it's one of those golf courses that they can probably make as hard as they want to. And I just got a feeling that they're going to be mad and wanting to show off a little bit. Yeah, I think you're 100% correct after uh... – the perceived nature of Aaron Hills for many, they're going to want to get even. Um, let's talk some other PGA stuff here. Some crazy news, and I have a feeling we don't know the entire story to this, and I don't know if we will, but uh, Phil Mickelson and Bones break up after I think it was like 24 or 25 years together, which is crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Phil came out with his, you know, little – message he put from his phone and it's all sentimental and heartfelt and great buy into it what you wish um i haven't seen anything from bones unless i missed it i'm curious is bones just pissed because it, he made him walk aaron hills for three days and then no showed and he already <laughs> knew he wasn't going to because that pissed me off that would be um, too now bones put out a statement he put out a statement at the same was, time they put out a statement basically simultaneously uh, both saying the same bs I, I really, like you said, I think there's a lot more to it. Now, is, Phil's picking up his brother on the bag, which is um, he's an agent, I guess, uh, or a, I think he's an agent for John Rahm, and he used to be the golf coach at Arizona State. But, yeah, really, really odd timing um, with Bones going to Aaron Hills last week and was shown walking the golf course by himself, pretty much knowing that Phil wasn't going to be there. But I, I doubt Bones is that. Uh, petty to really hold that against Phil. Um, but either way, yeah, there's something I would say behind the scenes there because that's like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's like your mom and dad breaking up. <laughs> it's like your mom and dad getting divorced. But it is. <laughs> I've never not known. 25 years. Um, it, it's crazy because we've seen Phil blow up at Bones so many times. And Bones is still there carrying his bag without a care in the world. Um, they're like, I just, I got to know what it is. I, there's, it's like, 
Um, and Bones will be fine. He's one of the best caddies out there, so he'll he'll pick up a bag somewhere. What what makes me wonder is he was he walking Aaron Hills handing out business cards, and we just don't know about it. <laughs> or uh, it, there's a lot of a lot of questions that can be asked on this one. It's very very interesting that this all happened. And I always thought if Phil's brother was going to do it, he would have caddied for Rom just because of their relationship. That's why it surprised me even more. Right, but uh, there's a lot to keep uh, keep an eye on there. Uh, quick DFS questions. Uh, FanDuel's new format's been out a few weeks where you just pick eight golfers for the entire tournament, kind of like DK, but eight instead of six. So it's not four for the first two days, four for the last two now. It's just eight overall. Um, I like it more because it's more like DK. But uh, what are your thoughts on how it's going with FanDuel? Yeah, I, I dipped the toes in a little bit last week. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mind it. Uh, it's definitely a different – feel different you have to change up the strategy i think a little bit um i do think that going even more balanced than DraftKings is a a great way to go because if you're hitting eight of eight and you got a really really good shot to have some good high finishes in there um and of course it was carnage you know last week uh which you know changed a lot of what you know who ended up winning and that kind of thing but it was uh it was fun to play on and i'll i'll keep dabbling a little bit over there but their their contests they're just not reaching the DraftKings level. Um, so until they do, you know, they're not going to take a whole lot of my money. Yeah, no, literally, I, I go big on DraftKings every week like you do. And then I think I had one lineup last week. First time I tried their new format. I'll probably do one or two every week. It's, I did well. I did a cash lineup in a GPP. And was, I only remembered to do it because they sent me a free lineup thing also. So that, that was all I was always for. It, but it wasn't bad. Uh, it was different. Their pricing's always really soft over there, which makes it intriguing. You can get creative. Well, yeah, they, they, you have to find the values, and it's it's good, I think, to compare the two pricing between DraftKings and FanDuel, and you can find values on each side um, because they're FanDuel. I think I think FanDuel has better pricing in that they don't try to force you to go stars and scrub. They they try to force you to think about it a little bit more and. That if you want to fit in a speech this week, then you have to dip down quite a bit. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Where, yeah, on DraftKings, you can build some pretty good looking stuff regardless. Um, Let's talk Millie Maker. Uh, With the carnage that took place, it got really interesting. We discussed before how the payout structure is garbage in the Millie Maker, unless you win the million dollars. Uh, (laughs) Why don't you break down the winning lineup for us? Yeah, so it was uh, Ricky, Brooks Kepka, Hideki, Trey Mullinax, Xander Shoffle, and Justin Thomas, which, um, you know, if – apparently, so this guy, whoever won this, um, I ended up finding him on Twitter. He's got like 61 followers. And he was talk- – he's been – he was on there kind of talking a little bit of smack about people who use optimizers and stuff. It was, it was, he has a weird account over there. He doesn't tweet a whole lot, but anyway, so he picks those, those six wins a million dollars, but he also had fourth and fifth in the Millie maker. So it was good for like another probably 50 or something thousand dollars. You get fourth, you probably get like 25 or something. Um, either way, he went heavy, Trey Mullinax and Xander Shoffle. So I don't know what the dude was thinking. Um, but you know, afterwards there was, uh, the guys over at, uh, fancy uh fanatics 
were tweeting out about kind of this guy's strategy and somebody kind of accused him of cheating a little bit, but this, that's the kind of thing that you got to have. You got to have some weird stuff in order to win a 120,000 man tournament with a million up top. You just, you got to get strange and that's what he did. And he hit and he gets to take home all the money. (laughs) Yep. I, I heard somewhere he, he max entered it. So that was a gamble out the gate. And to top it off for his max entry, I heard he had 70% Molinax and 70% Xander. Yeah. That's how I mean, crazy he went. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know how he got there. I mean, I, I've seen some people talk about, you know, their strategy as far as those, those guys are bombers, but it's not like they flashed any form in a regular tour event where you're like, yeah, they could probably compete at a U.S. Open when the pressure is five times greater than this normal golf tournament where they finish 30th. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, I, I kudos to that guy. I mean, he did – he hit it. I mean, and that's what it takes. You know, I mean, you got to get weird. Yep, that's what I tell people on uh, my quick hits all the time. If, if you want to just win a little money, you can do this. But if you want to win the big thing, my, that is my phrase. You have to get weird. <laughs> it's just the way you got to do it. You got to get weird. Um, you think outside the box, man. When you're trying to hit these big time GPPs that everybody's, you know, with, that are smaller buy-ins, and you're trying to hit the, you know, it, it, you just got to do weird stuff. And and he, I mean, that's a that's the lineup. I mean, I, you can't really get much better than that. Well, you had a bullet in the Thunderdome that you won in a qualifier. We talked about it on last week's pod. How did you do? So it paid top 38, and I finished in a tie for 37th. Nice. By half a point. Um, I, I end up having four out of six make the cut. So kind of after Friday, the sweat to win the whole entire thing was over, even though only, I think, around – five, six percent even got five out of six. There was one six out of six lineup out of two hundred in the in the Thunderdome. Um so anyways, by by the time Kate Paul Casey teed off on Saturday, I was in the top ten winning like twenty five grand. And as soon as he made a triple and then Justin Thomas scorched the earth, I dropped all the way out of the money. And then I ran back in on Sunday morning, ran out of holes with about two hours to go and it was the worst sweat of my life. I can't even lie. I mean, I only had $12 in it, but 10 grand to me is a lot of money. Um, and it was a awful, awful, awful sweat. Just figuring out like if he makes this putt and this guy moves back and yada, yada, yada points, this points that, you know, and I'm like, as Brian Harmon's making a bogey on the last, I'm like, God, please nobody around me have a decky. If they did, that's two points or however many points, and it's going to bump me down. I mean, I'm right on the edge. One par wins me ten grand. Um, or sweating my life. Or sweating my life. But that's awesome, man. Twelve dollars <laughs> wins you ten grand. Congrats. That's that's awesome. That's what that's what we play it for, though. Stuff like yeah. that. No, I mean it's it, it, it was. I said the worst sweat of my life. Just just agony. Obviously, elation once all said and done to win ten grand, but. It was rough, man. But that's what I, that's what I told you. I said, uh, I think it was Wednesday or whatever. I said, just make sure on Sunday that you have a nice place to sit down and a lot of place to pace because 
Funny story about that. So I go play golf with my dad Sunday morning. Um, we go back to his house and he lives out kind of in the middle of nowhere and he has a satellite dish and all these, all of a sudden all these thunderstorms keep popping up around us. So like golf comes in and then it goes off for like 10 minutes and then it goes in. And so finally I sat there for like 30 minutes and no golf. I was like, dad, I've got to go. I've got it. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I was like, I'm just going to go home. Dude. He's like, all right, all right. Let me know how you do. So yeah, kind of sucked, but yeah, I know. Right. I was trying to hang out with my dad, freaking clouds. So, uh, but awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about our buddy Joe Buck. I thought this would be a little fun one here because I heard a lot of uh, complaining about him, and there's been another broadcaster we hear complain about quite a bit. So I wanted your take. Who's worse, Joe Buck or Johnny Miller? <laughs> that, that is a great question. Um, they're a little bit different in that, you know, Miller does more of the commentary and, and Buck's kind of the color guy. But I myself, I'd rather listen to Joe Buck than Johnny Miller. One thing that irks me about Johnny is he's kind of got this holier than thou attitude, and he even got salty after um, JT shot that sixty-three and basically said that it wasn't a U.S. Open course because before that he was the record holder at the U.S. Open shooting sixty-four, I think. Um, and so he got salty and, and made a quote that basically wasn't a U.S. Open course to try to undercut what Justin Thomas just did, and I think that's a lot of BS. So. Um, I'd, let, I'd rather have Joe Buck all day. Um, I cannot stand Johnny Miller and his negative attitude all the time. Who you got? Yeah. Um, well, I'll be honest. I'm a little biased because I watch a lot of baseball, and Joe Buck rubs me the wrong way. But I've learned to appreciate Joe Buck as I've learned to listen to him outside of his broadcast. He's actually really funny, really sarcastic like myself. It's just when he, when he gets in the booth, he's just a pompous jackass. It's just it's annoying. But Johnny Miller, if people watch golf enough, Johnny Miller is the biggest know-it-all on the planet. And it's like like you said, JT just shoots a 63. Let the guy have his moment. Like, give me a break. Like we said earlier, you see him shaking over his putt. It means a lot to the kid. Go away. He should have shot. He should have shot sixty-two. He missed another short eagle putt. But I mean, if he's watching golf and he's watching Justin Thomas hit these shots, it's not like Justin Thomas is getting lucky. He's he's throwing three hundred yard three woods at the pin and sticking them. Um, I mean, yeah. just landing them right up there. And then Johnny Miller comes out. Oh, it's not a U.S. Open golf course. Well, Johnny, it is. And your record's gone, bro. See, ya. that's what it is. Johnny's just pissed that if he wasn't on TV anymore, many would forget and not even know who he is. No, that's the because, truth. Because most of his past accomplishments don't even matter anymore. Like they're just gone. Yeah. Like he's got his golf courses that he does, and, and literally the new era would no, not know who Johnny Miller is. No clue. I mean, I wouldn't if he wasn't on TV. Now, my one of my best friend's dad, I asked him, like, you like Johnny Miller? Yeah, I mean, I like him. He's always been that way. But he was at one point, he was one of the best golfers in the world. Um, but he's no Jack Nicklaus. He's no Arnold Palmer. I think he's got a lot of saltiness in him about the fact that those two guys are a lot bigger names than he will ever be. Yeah. Maybe he's our version of John Rom. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, I just had to get on there. Who knows, man? Who knows? Okay, I said earlier that the last seven majors are won by first timers. Now you already said Ricky and JT are the you know the next ones up. They're the ones that are supposed to get it. Not counting them. Who's the next first timer? Um, you know, I would look at a guy like uh, like Tommy Fleetwood. Very surprising. He can he's a he can turn it on, but he can be a really really bad golfer too. Um, and Bern Weisberger playing been playing really really good golf. Um, and is one of those guys who potentially could uh, surprise at a, at a venue like um, like the Open, um, or potentially the PGA Championship if he's over here, which I'm not really sure if he will be. Um, but another guy, man, and I'm I'm gonna stay on both these guys. And I talked about an article this week. Um, Bud Colley, I think he's a really really good golfer. Kevin Tway, if he ever figures out his short game, is going to be one of the best golfers. Um, those two guys right there, I think, could be you know the kind of sneaky type of guys who get hot like Brooks um, and kind of overpower a golf course. Um, so I like those two as kind of the you know uh, I guess sneaky kind of guys or under the radar young guys, young guns. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Tway, and one other one you did not mention that I keep my eye out on every week, even though he killed me this last week. Kisner. I'm big on Kisner. I think he's so close to being that consistent weekly guy that's near the top of leaderboards. He's right, right there. I think. Yeah, I've already, I've already heard his name floated a couple times for the Open because they just came out with those odds right after the U.S. Open. So, um, yeah, I mean, Kisner, he's got the low ball, ball, ball flight, and he can work it left to right. So, um, if he can just figure out how to putt. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> So the next major, we keep saying it, is the Open Championship. The Open Championship, people. I still want to call it the British Open. I'm not sure why they changed it. If you if you know why, let me know because I hate that they – it's the Open Championship. It's the British Open, people. Come on. Let's keep some tradition, <laughs> damn it. Um, it's going back to Royal Birkdale for the 10th time. It's kind of one of the cool things about the British Open is that it kind of rotates back through all the old courses, which make it so great. Um, that it's in July 20th through the 23rd. Any early thoughts on the open? Um, yeah, so I, I went, you know, as well as prepping for this today and kind of just looked at the golf course and it reminds me a lot of Aaron Hills, you know, your classic link style golf course, um, narrow, narrow fairways and probably bigger greens. And it's going to play a lot shorter than I'm sure Aaron Hills uh, did, but this is like you, like you just said, it's, this uh, Royal Birkdale has uh, held more championships and in inter- international events since World War II than any other course in the world. So a lot of uh, uh, tradition and a lot of things to also look at in comparison to whenever we started research for it. Um, it's been played here before, so we can figure out the kind of golfer that that likes to that that is that does well at this course. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to it. Um, the only gripe with the Open Championship is a they they changed it from the British Open, and then b it's on starting at like one o'clock in the morning. I on the West Coast. Yeah, I get it. I guess I get it at ten o'clock. But like the Sunday final round, if I want yeah. to watch the the later pairings, I'm screwed. <laughs> it's either just stay up on Saturday, or I got I got a game plan. <laughs> That's the only thing I hate about it. Too. I like watching it, but I like I can never 
I can never get into it like I can the U.S. Open or the Masters, the PJ Championship, because you know I'm just I can't stay up all night and watch golf and just fall asleep. Yeah, that that is the problem. Is it's and it's such it's really good, fun to watch the yeah, Open no, too. There's something, there's something about it. It's good golf. It's it's kind of like it, it sounds weird because it's kind of like dreary and old and gray, but it's really cool to watch. It's just different and. Um, and I believe I believe ESPN usually has the first two rounds, and it goes to ABC in the past. I don't know who has it now, and they actually have done a decent job in the past. I don't know what the plan is this year, but at least on the opening rounds, because they they realize it's so late and many people don't care about who's talking, they usually do a pretty good job of showing coverage. Yeah, um, this is this is one that I can see the that Fox maybe potentially could pick up in the future. Um, because I think it is still ABC, ESPN, if I remember correctly. That's that's my memories of it. I don't know if it changed, but yeah, with all their budget cuts, this could be next in line. That's for sure. Because Tariko's gone, SVP's the last man standing, pretty much. And Tariko's yeah. really good too. I like Tariko, and I always enjoyed him on the golf coverage. So that's kind of yeah. if that not, not bad at all. Well, all right, Jesse. Any last words on the the recap here? No, man. Glad to be here. Um, we're going to keep it moving with the picks and uh, trying to hit some winners. And I hope everybody can gather a little bit of uh, knowledge, strategy, and, and and maybe find some plays in the, in what I put out every week. So happy to be here and happy to do it. Yep. Awesome, Jesse. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can find Jesse on Twitter at DFS Golf Gods, his weekly DFS preview is out on dsportsdgens.com. Always really, really good stuff. He's got the Travelers preview out there, but by the time you get this, it'll have teed off. So look for next week's, look for next week's preview when it's out. It's usually out every Tuesday, like clockwork. Yep. So check it out. But, again, Jesse, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Bubba. I'll talk to you soon. Yep, everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, Episode 42, U.S. Open Recap, and much, much more. We'll catch you guys later. Life's better with an auto policy from American Family Insurance. No matter what dreams you're driving towards. That's because our expert agents will make you feel totally protected with the right auto coverage at the right price. You'll also save up to 23% when you bundle auto with home. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.